Welcome back to another episode of Rebuttal. My name is Reb Measle, your host. This episode is a doozy. It's it's crazy. It has a little bit of everything, I think. Um, intrigue, body hiding, body snatching, drugs, family drama, the IRS, you know, the usual, I would think. This one is a crowd pleaser. I will say that is why if you were watching on my YouTube, I do have my upside down sunglasses very much on. It it does get me excited. It gets me jazzed. It gets me pumped. It gets me ready to go for the debauchery, for the calamity, for the chaos. I literally think this entire podcast could be named after this case um, and it would it would really sum it all up. I have briefly touched on this episode. When I say briefly, I mean very briefly in whatever I'm pretty sure like a three-minute TikTok could have done for me, which was decidedly not enough. Um, So, you know, if you feel like this one feels a little familiar to you, get over it and just keep listening and pretend like you haven't heard it before. Thank you so much for your understanding. This case is about a man. (laughs) It's not funny. This case isn't funny. I feel like I have yet to have like the um, scream queen like police come in yet to be like, this isn't funny. These are real people, real lives. I know. But like, what else are we supposed to do with this information? Like, what else am I supposed to do? How can I not have a good giggle, a good laugh, a good cheerio? You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to have a cheerio. I'm going to have a cheerio there, mate, about some facts that I find just a little bonkers. And if you are somehow one in a million drop in a million one of the family members affected by this story that is so sad and i'm so sorry but also are you good like what in the actual fuck this is the type of like family secret bullshit that you would hear at a family reunion you know what i mean you know when you find out some family bullshit that happened Okay, and you roll up to a family reunion gathering and you've heard some inklings about like how Uncle Ben is a little weird or whatever. And then you find out 10 years later, oh, yeah, he killed his wife in the backyard once. We think he did it, but he said that she was ran over by a deer. So we just stuck with that. Um, That's why you were never allowed to be in a room alone with him. Anyways, and like, that's it. And you go, what the fuck? Like, what? Tell me more. And no one will say anything. And, and you know, all, your entire family has just perpetuated this rumor throughout the city that there's random rogue deer just mowing people down just to give a backstory for your uncle who definitely killed his wife in the backyard 20 years ago. Like, you know what I mean? This is the kind of story that feels like that. It feels like we're a part of this family and hearing it secondhand later on and going wait what the fuck that's what happened that's why grandma didn't get the get the apartment building that she was supposed to i thought that but you know whatever so our family drama begins pretty normally okay with with a son named taruk taruk was born in 1968 as the only biological child of hassan and Ann Jackson. Okay. Hassan's last name is Ben Ali. B-E-N-A-L-I. Yes, I thought of Prince Ali from Aladdin as well. 
know there's no connection, any of which that I can find or see or hear or smell. So that's all I have for you. Tarouk, his parents were together for about 30 seconds before the divorce did not work out, but they did try to co-parent for the next 34 years, okay? While Tarouk was growing into a bouncing baby 34-year-old. Hassan was a savvy businessman, right? Hassan, the dad, okay, here, was really getting after it. He was doing what all savvy, successful, really great, notable, famous, notorious businessmen in America do, which is hide from the IRS and get into some shady deals, right? And transfer property in such a way as to not have to report things to the IRS. Now, now obviously, right, par for the course, par for the course in America. Hassan had owned a lot of properties over the years, okay, and had gone through some financial troubles, as, as one does before you reach the top. So one of the things that Hassan did, of course, just like everyone else, to get out of his tax troubles, his tax problems, to get the IRS off of his ass, right, which they are on all of ours. It is tax season, so get after it. He transferred one of his properties to his son, Tarouk. Okay. This property is an apartment building located at 2235 Ashby Avenue in Berkeley, California. Look how cute and gorgeous it is, right? Now, this Ashby property, okay, I'm going to call it the Ashby apartment. Okay. The Ashby apartments. He had transferred it to Tarouk in approximately 1993, okay, presumably to avoid losing the property to the IRS. But in reality, he had transferred that property to his son in name alone, right? He had wrote up the papers so that it basically let Hassan run, manage, control, make every decision ever about the property, except for the fact that Tarouk technically owned it. Okay, this is called um, tax evasion. This is a crime. Don't do this. Or do. I don't really care. I'm not your attorney. Remember, this is not legal advice. So in 1990, okay, that was in 1993 when that transfer takes place. Okay, Tarouk is about 25 years old, living large, definitely has not a single fucking thing to do with this apartment building, but it's in his name, right? He owns that shit. He definitely owns it. Everything was fine. Everything was good uh, for Hassan, mostly. Tarouk did have some drug problems, okay? He had a history of drug abuse. He had some charges on his record for drug-related things. Um, But Hassan, being the really great number one dad that he is, really didn't give a shit. He didn't care. He was just like, as long as I have my Ashby apartment in Berkeley, um, I'm doing good. I'm living large and I'm vibing, right? I'm, I'm a landlord and I'm raking in that dough. I'm raking that rent every month. So, so basically... Tarouk, right, through his struggles, eventually does get clean, okay, around 2002. And around the time he got clean, he met a beautiful woman. Her name was Wendelin Wilburn, okay? She goes by Wendy. And Wendy, right, really did it for him. And she kept him clean, and they fell in love, all right? And, and like any number one best dad in the world, Hassan was pissed. 
Hassan was livid. He hated Wendy. He was not about Wendy. He did not want a single thing to do with Wendy. And this wasn't just something that came out in court documents later. Wendy on the record was like, his ass fucking hated me. Like full on, despised me openly. And if you've ever had a monster-in-law, I'm sure you can relate. There was really no secret about it. He tried to convince Tarouk up until and through the wedding day to not marry her. Literally was greeting guests as they walked into the venue, right, to go get their buffet and their stale fondant cake and would turn to Tarouk every few minutes and be like, we can back out. We can uncook the salmon right now. We can send all these people home if you would just say no to Wendy. And Tarouk, the entire time, faithful man as he is, said, I love Wendy. Why would I do that? I'm going to marry her. I am clean. I am sober. Wendy is beautiful. It's going to happen. The main reason Hassan gave, okay, for opposing the marriage was not so much about Wendy's personality, was not really her name at all, was not really her vibe, her culture, her mood, her moment. It had everything to do with Hassan thinking that Wendy was only trying to marry Tarouk for the Ashby apartment building so that she could get a piece of that because it was in Tarouk's name. And I mean, fair, right? Fair assessment. Women marry for money all the time. Most of the time, I would even say. I mean, have you seen men? right? Sometimes th- there's not much much else to be had. But but again, I think that's a little judgmental. I think it's a little rude to say. Um, I also think it's kind of one of those things where, you know, you can't have your cake and eat it too, Hassan, okay? You avoided, you avoided some felony tax, right? Seizures by the IRS, by the government in 1993 when you transferred that property over to your son, which was obviously fraudulent as fuck. And you did it anyway, and you got away with it. Okay, congratulations. You didn't lose the property, and you're still raking in the cash and the dough, and Tarouk literally has nothing to do with it except for it being his name. So, like, maybe you should really have thought about the fact that your son might fall in love, and maybe your luck was going to run out, right? Maybe you should have just been fucking nice. Maybe just be nice to your daughter-in-law, right? Like, maybe she'll let you, like, get a cut. Maybe she'll let you help manage the apartment complex. Like, I feel like the angle of just being a huge asshole to your daughter-in-law, who's definitely standing to inherit the entire fucking apartment building if something happened, hint, hint, um, like, maybe that should have been the angle. Maybe that should have been the play. I don't know. I don't know. As your lawyer, sometimes you you can kill them with kindness or, like, not kill them at all. At the time that Wendy and Tarouk married, Wendy was definitely aware that Tarouk had drug problems. He had a history, right? But that he was all clean, all good. She testified that, you know, when they got married, August 3rd, 2002, no drug issues, no drug problems. And throughout their marriage, they didn't have any issues or problems with that until sometime early in 2004. So about two years, less than two years after they got married, Tarouk did relapse into the drug scene a little bit. Okay. And then and then he disappeared. And then he disappeared. You heard that right. He disappeared. Weird, right? That he had been clean for all of these years and now all of a sudden they get married and a few years after they get married, 
Tarouk suddenly relapses and then disappears all in like a couple months time. See, to me, it's smelling a little sea biscuit, smelling a little deep sea fishing. It's smelling a little ocean dive fishy. Wendy was on a business trip in Las Vegas on June 8, 2004, when she communicated with Tarouk by telephone for the very last time. Over the next two days, Wendy repeatedly tried to call Tarouk from Las Vegas, but got no answer. When she returned from her trip, she called Hassan to find out if he knew where Tarouk was. Hassan told her Tarouk had decided to leave her and start a new life somewhere else. He told similar stories to Tarouk's mother and and to others who inquired about Tarouk's whereabouts. But he specifically told people, no, I swear, like I swear to God, he literally just wanted to start a new life. Yeah, I don't know. Super weird, crazy, right? Like he just got married to you, did all this stuff. Um, yeah, totally new life that he started. Not here, somewhere else. Somewhere, just else, right? Because that tracks. Um, Wendy testified that she did not believe Hassan, right? She didn't believe him and made attempts to locate Tarouk as a newlywed wife does. But neither Wendy nor anyone else, including his mother, reported Tarouk's disappearance to the police. Report people missing. Can we do that? Report them missing. Even if you think, oh, maybe he did, or you know what I mean, like totally start a new life somewhere else. Maybe he totally left me and it's super embarrassing for me, totally for sure, whatever. The worst case scenario is so often the scenario in the case that, that you know, you might as well, you might as well go for it. You might as well try it out and see. And having, you know, a single person jump skippily do dot a over to Hassan's house, knock, knock, knock and say, hey, what are the vibes? Maybe that would have made things a little different, right? Maybe wouldn't have delayed justice for so long, but here we fucking are. Here we fucking are. Okay, Hassan said, Tarouk bounced, and everyone believed him. Over the next four years, that's right, four, four years, between June 2004 and December 2008, Hassan continued to manage Tarouk's apartment building in Tarouk's name, the Ashby Apartment collected rents, forged Tarouk's name on checks drawn from Tarouk's bank accounts, of course, and refinanced the property in the amount of $600,000 by forging Tarouk's signature and the signature of a notary. With no one find, with no one even wondering what was happening, no one inquiring, no one, including Wendy, including his mom, and no one any be caring, really caring at all. And I'm not saying that it maybe was as out in the open, out and about as it as it appears, but it seems like it was fucking out in the open and out and about, right? And they're still married. Wendy, okay, our favorite fast food chain and Tarouk are still not has been tied, not has not been undone, okay? It has not been unwound. I for sure right after the grief and 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 confusion maybe fear maybe loss maybe sorrow of thinking my husband up and left me while I was on a business trip to Vegas okay I would 
I would maybe after all of that or maybe in the middle of that had raised my hand at a certain point and been like, wait, um, anyways, um, what about, what about his money? Like, what's that about? Um, can, you know what I mean? Like, can I like apply for a divorce maybe and get some, get some dollars, get some moolah and, and nope, nothing. I would have been a grieving wife for about 30 seconds before I started asking cues. And I don't think that has anything to do with me being an attorney. I think that has everything to do with me wanting to get at least one W out of every L that I take, right? Like I want at least a little W, right? I'm going to win. I'm always going to get a W regardless of the situation, even if it is under the guise of an L. That is my mantra in life. And I think I'm going to stick to it. Thank you so much. So none of this, mind you, none of the real story would have come out if number one dad would have just kept his mouth shut, by the way, which which is also definitely a lesson in how keeping your fucking mouth shut can really hide a lot of nefarious activities, as any lawyer knows. Um, and also, even though you might tell your friend who's a lawyer some crazy shit, um, it might not necessarily mean that that friend who's a lawyer who you called is listening to you tell some crazy fucking story and that everything you tell them is protected by attorney-client privilege. Sometimes we can just be spoken to like people. I know. Crazy. Super crazy. So in November 2008, Hassan calls who he thought at the time was his attorney. Okay, his attorney. It was literally just his homie, his friend who happened to be a lawyer and asked to meet with him. Okay, he was like, let's hang out. Let's meet. I have some shit to talk. I have some tea. I have some things to talk to you about. I would can only hope that there was alcohol in front of this attorney who had to hear what he was about to hear because Lord have mercy. Hassan, our number one dad, informed the attorney that Tarouk, his son, had in fact not up and left and started a new life elsewhere. He had, in fact, died in 2004 of a drug overdose, okay? And that Hassan, number one dad, had found his son, Tarouk, dead in a hotel room of an overdose in 2004. But, but of course, right, while Wendy is on her business trip and, you know, his son is shooting up in a hotel room... Hassan, when he saw his dead son's body lying there, thought, how is this going to affect my bottom line, right? Like, what is this going to do for me and my assets and my property, my Ashby apartment complex that I love so much that I'm collecting rents on that just got renovated. We love that. The tenants are happy. They're nice, right? Like, I love being a land lord. I love being a lord over land, all right? How is this going to affect me? So he stared at his son's body his son's overdosed body and said, you know what? I don't want to report this. No, I do not. I am afraid of losing my lovely Ashby apartment complex. I very much am. I don't want to, mm -mm, I don't want to do that. So, so what he did do is he took Tarouk's body to the property, to the Ashby complex, right? I can only assume it was newly renovated, cute and fun and flirty and fresh. Um, and you would think, oh, maybe the property was empty. No, it wasn't. People were living there in this apartment complex. But number one, dad takes Tarouk's body 
out of the hotel room into a vehicle, drives it over to the Ashby property, to the apartment complex, beautiful, awesome, gorgeous, with all of the tenants still living there. It's not a very big building, as you can see, right? Not a lot of space for a storage room or area of the building. And he puts his son's body behind the wall of a storage area inside the building. He hides his son behind a wall in this apartment complex that he loves so much that he does not want to lose because, again, money, money, money. And, and you know, he thinks if I report, if I report my son dying... This is not so bueno because, of course, you know, um, Taruk, instead of Taruk's assets going to me, which they definitely should because I am number one dad, D.O., um, they're going to go to his wife. Right? They're going to go to his wife. The way that California scheme works, they're going to definitely go to his wife um, or his child. So I'm not about that. I'm not vibing with that. I'm not about it. So he's telling his his friend, his friend slash lawyer, all of this, right? And the lawyer, I can only assume, is like this. What? And I've had situations, okay? I've had fucking situations where clients have told me some shit where I literally am like this. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. No, yeah. Right. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't do something like that in that situation? No, yeah, I can't. No, I'm not. I'm not not judging you at all. No, of course, of course not. Of course, I'm not. Um, I do. I do think that we need to plan a little. I think. I think we do need to um to plan. Not in like a. Not in really like a a bad way. Really, more of like a. A, a, a planning way, right? Like I am your wedding planner, but your life planner, right? And, and it just rained on an outdoor wedding. The wedding being your life and the rain being acid. Okay, so let's, 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 try, to let's try to game plan here. Let's plan a game. And, and here, right here in this scenario, I can only assume the attorney was like, oh my God, amazing. Okay, perfect awesome right like there has to be a point where your eyes glaze over halfway through that conversation and you're just like you know what like i am outside of my body right now i am not listening to this i am currently questioning why i didn't go to medical school instead of fucking law school what the fuck was that about for these four years that he had kept this secret right he hid taruk behind a wall of that building no one no one had known no one had smelled no one had complained i'm not kidding you hear about, right? Like nobody can hide a body. Like everyone always smells. Apparently in an apartment fucking complex with all those fucking people in this fucking building, okay? Nobody was like, that's weird. Maybe it's because they're college students, right? Berkeley campus, like living near Berkeley. Maybe they were like, everything smells, okay? How am I supposed to know it's a dead body and what is it? But like it does give you the heebie-jeebies. It does give you the little tickly wigglies thinking about like... Why did no one know? Why did no one smell it? And it does make you think, wow, how many bodies are around and buried and behind walls in the apartment complex that I'm in? Anyone's in, you know, probably a lot. Yep. Enjoy that. Probably a lot. 
So you, you, you would like to think, you would like to very much think that Hassan called up his friend slash attorney because the guilt had been eating him away for four years, right? He finally came to his senses as, as people do, as people, normal people do, as the majority of the population does. And that's why everyone gets caught for their crimes, right? They, are, they just are so guilty that they can't hold it anymore and they finally come clean. Um, that's not what fucking happened. That's not what fucking happened at all. In this case, the only reason why our number one dad called up his attorney friend and finally came clean is because the person, the unnamed, unknown person who is to this day out in the world somewhere, we have no idea who this person is, no one ever found out, the person who had assisted him in the removal and concealment of his son's body was extorting substantial sums of money from him by threatening to reveal what had happened. So he just wanted to like jump the gun. You know what I mean? He just wanted to like, he just wanted to like get ahead of it. Like PR, as any PR campaign would tell you, look, we need to get ahead of this, right? This agency, we need to, we need to make sure that these people don't try to like disclose your, you know what I mean? Like we're going to disclose the secret before you take that. You have nothing to extort me about because I already told my attorney about it. So what you do? That was the only thing. This individual extorting the fuck out of number one dad was the only thing that kept this story um, from being concealed forever, from being secret and out of my hands forever. And it, the only thing keeping this episode alive, really, which is thank you to them, I, I guess, I think. Uh, yeah, they're still out there. They're still chilling somewhere in Berkeley. Who fucking knows? <laughs> so this was at the end of November. Okay. End of November, 2008. And so, um, you know, Hassan's attorney basically convinced him we should probably like, you know, get the authorities involved a little. Like if you're going to be extorted, you might as well get ahead of things, make sure that you can spin the story the way we want to, whatever. So, so in some way, shape or form, law enforcement was contacted. Okay. And, and an investigation began, but, and trigger warning, on December 15th, 2008, Hassan committed suicide while Berkeley police officers were visiting the Ashby apartment complex property. Okay, committed suicide. Two days later, two days after number one dad committed suicide, Tarouk's body was discovered on the pre premises, hidden behind a wall. Indeed, at the Ashby apartment complex that was still operating and tenants were still living in. Police believed, after an autopsy was done, that Tarouk had indeed died four and a half years earlier in June 2004, when Wendy was at her work conference in Las Vegas. Based on the court documents surrounding the will and testament, okay, yada yada, which I'm going to get into, it seems like everyone was kind of convinced that he did die of a drug overdose, which look right like based on what number one dad was doing i'm not really honey be sure that everything we can that came out of the dad's mouth is gonna be 100 accurate but look right sometimes we have just a, we just have to use the honor system um and 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 let people use the honor system who should not be allowed to use it but that's the rule of law for you right so as i kind of have you know given you clues about hints about this entire time you're probably thinking Oh my God, Reb, why does this have anything to do with anything legal? 
except for the fact that it's bonkers and crazy. But that is because it is actually does not have to do with criminal law. It does not have to do with hiding body law. It does not have to do with really any kinds of felonies at all. I know. Crazy. What this has to do is with wills, trusts, and estates. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Everyone's favorite class in law school. Now, Hassan, okay, number one dad, left a will. He left a will that was not contested, okay? He gave everything, his sole beneficiary of everything he owned, his whole estate, to his former wife, Anne, all right? But the issue in this case is not so much Hassan, number one dad's will, right? The issue here is Tarouk's will. Why, you ask? Oh, okay, I'll tell you. Because Tarouk didn't have a will. He did not have a will that anyone knew about until, until his, his body was found. Okay, his body was found because in the two days after his dad had committed suicide, Tarouk's body was found and a will, presumably Tarouk's will, was also found with Tarouk's body, okay? Like a thin napkin thrown on his son's body as extra insurance for Hassan getting all the money and property that he that he wanted to keep, okay? Specifically, the Ashby Apartments, which we've heard a fucking enough about. And honestly, in my mind, we're not fucking worth it after all this hullabaloo. So essentially, the reason why, you know, recapping, the reason why Hassan hid it, Tarouk's body is because he didn't want Tarouk's ownership of the apartment to then go to his wife and have his wife, you know, oust Hassan because Hassan is a is literally the father-in-law from hell. So Hassan wanted to maintain management ownership, the funds, the receipts, the revenue from this property uh, while Tarouk is uh, dead in the fucking floorboards, the wallboards, the sideboards. And, and even if, okay, he thought even if somebody gets a little smell, gets a little smelly smell and they find his body... I'm going to throw a will, a typed up will on top of Tarouk's body that says, hey, um, everything that I own goes to my dad anyway. It, so like we're covered, right? You would think like we're covered. So, so in this case, okay, you're thinking, well, number one, dad's dead. Like what, who fucking cares? Everyone's dead in this scenario. Who's fighting? What girls are fighting? Oh, the girls are fighting. Literally the girls. So Tarouk's mother, Anne, okay, if Hassan, number one's dad version of the story, is the right version of the story, then Anne gets the apartment complex everything, right? Because basically when Tarouk died four years prior, according to Tarouk's will, quote unquote, everything goes to his dad, okay? The, the apartment complex goes to his dad. So then when his dad dies, then his dad gets to say who it goes to and it goes to Anne. Well... Obviously, our, our girl Wendy's like, <laughs> what the fuck? That's actually not it at all. What in the actual fuck? You know, you find out in a two-day time period, right? Wendy, our girl Wendy, finds out in a two-day time period that the husband that she thought left her, bounced, disappeared, started a new life with someone else, has in the last four years actually been been dead in the fucking wall boards, the floorboards, the whatever boards, okay? Um, your father-in-law who hid him in there, 
to prevent you from touching literally any part of his estate because he fucking hates you that much, fucking much, um, he dies. Okay, he commits suicide and then he leaves everything to his wife. So he's trying to cut you out of not only the will and the estate, but literally every piece that could possibly be worth anything. Okay. You're raising your hand at the fucking probate proceeding and going, hold the fucking phone. No, no, no. Okay. I'm contesting Tarouk's quote unquote will. Okay. What the actual fuck? That shit's not kosher. Okay. I should actually get the apartment complex for sure and all of Tarouk's assets for sure because everything in that will is a piece of bullshit. Okay. And, and the will, okay. <laughs> what did Tarouk's will look like? The will, okay, was a typewritten document, Tarouk's will, dated August 16, 2002, two weeks after Tarouk and Wendy were married and the day before they were to leave town for a honeymoon in Hawaii. All right. So the timing's interesting here because you would think, oh, like, wouldn't, wouldn't Tarouk and his wife remember, like, signing a document that said it was Tarouk's will like right before they were going to go to their honeymoon you would think you would fucking think it it stated the document provided that Tarouk's quote-unquote wife was to receive all of Tarouk's personal property but that his father Hassan Ben Ali was to receive all other assets so basically your personal property right like not not that would not include the Ashby apartments. It would not include the major things, right, that are in Tariq's name. No, it would not. It would it would include nothing. Pretty much nothing. This isn't sketchy at all, right? This type of will isn't sketchy at all. Because why would you name your wife? Why would you ever refer to your wife by name in your own will? You had just gotten married, what, two weeks prior and you're not look you don't know who's gonna who that wife's gonna be you know what i mean like maybe they're mm, who really knows so instead of just saying hey wendy wendy's gonna get wendy comma my wife comma is gonna get everything you just put my wife that's not sketchy at all right that's not weird that's not bizarre like why would you ever want to put your wife's full name in, in, in a legal document purporting to give her your assets like Look, it seems normal, right? It seems super fucking not sketchy at all. No, it was really fucking sketchy. Everyone was like, what the fuck is this? Okay, that's weird as hell. Um, super bizarre, super weird. Why is the only person named in this will your dad's name? A little wonky, a little bizarre, a little bonkers, okay? Now, the will, okay, in addition to like all this other stuff, okay, basically purporting to give, basically benefiting his dad only. It was signed, allegedly signed by Tarouk, had Tarouk's signature on it had Wendy's signature on it with her address under her signature being the Ashby apartment complex, okay? And then had another witness's signature on it that was just a smudge, just a little boop, just a little ink smudge. And and just the witness name was just illegible. It was just a little smudgy smudge. And and nobody ever knew who that person was. Identity of that second witness was was not to be determined ever, okay? So... Was this a valid will? Was this a valid will? It was typed. Didn't name the wife. Just said wife in it. Was signed, okay, by our decedent, by, by Tarouk. Signed by Wendy, allegedly. With her address under it, Ashby Apartments. We'll get to that. 
and then smudged by another witness. But like, like it's all like technicalities, right? Like, is this really that big of a deal? Okay, if you guys think too, what's what's also funny about will trust in a state's law is before you take the class or before you learn more about it, you think, oh, like wills, trust and estates, like signing your will and signing a trust document, signing a will document is so like there's so many requirements. It's so important. Like da, da, da. And yeah, like it is important to like go through the proper procedures to like, you know, have the proper people there and, you know, have the document be all fine and dandy, have, have you know, um, a wills, trust and estate, estate attorney, you know, oversee it. But but y'all, look at me dead in the eyes, okay? I want you to listen up. I want you to pay attention. In at least the state of California, but also in many states, it's a low fucking bar to prove what is and isn't a will and to actually enforce a will. I promise you that. That is not to say that that is an excuse for you guys to like go willy-nilly, willard-nillard and not do a fucking thing about making sure your documents are legit and tight and, you know, reviewed by an attorney. No. But what I'm telling you is that there are so many scenarios that someone have been like, you know, people have been like life or death situations. Like a guy one time was pinned down by a tractor, right? Like his legs were completely entangled. He was a farmer and he wrote, he carved into the side of the tractor. I leave everything to my wife, like heart, heart in like his own blood. Okay. This is in Canada in his own blood. That was upheld as a valid will and testament because there was clear and convincing evidence to show that that was his testamentary intent. Okay. That is basically what you need to show. And in California, the general rule is that a will is not valid unless it is either witnessed by being signed during the individual's lifetime by at least two persons, okay, two people who are present at the time of the signing of the will and who understand that the instrument that they sign is actually that person's will, okay? So the main general rule is one, Got to be during the testator's lifetime. You have two witnesses. Watch you sign it and understand that they're signing it and know that it's your will. That's it. There's no notary. Everyone thinks there's a fucking notary always involved. No, there's not. Then you don't need a fucking notary involved. You don't need that person. You don't. I could get me and two of my fucking friends. I could bring them here right now, right on a piece of shitty notebook paper. I leave everything to my sister and my cat Simba. Sign it. They sign it. That's Gucci. It doesn't need to even need to be on pretty paper. I promise you, okay? But even then, okay? Even then, even if I fuck up and I only bring one of my friends over to sign this shit, okay? On accident or like maybe my second witness is a smudge and no one who's who they are, okay? Like our boy Tarouk's quote unquote will, that can still be valid because there's basically a mistake provision in california's private code it literally says but like these are the rules but like if you like forget or like you fuck it up like we're not gonna really hold it against you that hard because if you fuck up and don't meet all those requirements the will can still be valid and can still be treated as being all kosher and gucci if the people who are trying to prove that the will should be enforced prove by clear and convincing evidence that at the time that the person who died signed the will, that they intended the will to constitute that person's will. 
So essentially, all you have to do is prove by clear and convincing evidence that this shit was definitely what they intended to be their will. Okay? So that's what we're going with. That's the lay of the land. They, they have to decide whether, whether Tarouk's will is valid under either of those two scenarios. One, that it was a valid will, okay, that everyone who signed it signed it, and that the smudge was a person that's valid. Or two, that there was a fuck up in the process, but that Tarouk's will was definitely his intent. Where do you think we're going to fall here? I wonder. Some of my cases are, are a crapshoot, so like, who really knows? Could you imagine if, oh my god, I thought my microphone was on mute this entire fucking time. I would have cried myself to sleep. Okay, so first of all, okay, we have one expert, okay, on the Tarouk's valid, will is valid side. He testifies he believed with a high degree of certainty that Tarouk's signature on the will was authentic and that he believed Wendy's signature was, quote, probably genuine based on comparisons he had made. P probably genuine, like saying... It's like probably genuine. I feel like as in the vet, like, I, I don't know if I would want to hear that on the stand so much. Like probably genuine probs. He literally says probs, Mabes, probs. Okay. Now, Wendy's forensic document expert, okay, disagrees. His name is James Blanco, not to be confused with James Franco, testified that it was, quote, highly probable that the signatures of Tarouk and Wendy on the will were not genuine. We have conflicting evidence, okay? Wendy herself testified and denied ever witnessing or signing the will, of course. She she did acknowledge that the Wendy portion of the signature was pretty valid, pretty legit. She was like, yeah, she, there's probably something that I would write, but, like, I didn't fucking write it, okay? It wasn't me. I never witnessed his will. I didn't know he had a will, and I never, I never signed that shit. She... She did testify that Hassan had asked her to sign something in 2004, which he told her was a medical release needed in case Tariq required medical attention, which, which is just a lesson for all of you that, you know, even if a family member says, hey, can you sign this really quick? Read what you fucking sign. Read what you sign. I'm not saying it's her fault. It's absolutely not her fault. You know, it's like somehow he got her to, you know, sign what what was now allegedly a will but like read, read what you have what people ask you to fucking sign please um but also and what i think is even more damning evidence than all of that bullshit right because like let's say the experts you know signature experts they're all yelling about people's signatures who fucking knows right wendy's like maybe i signed it as wendy i don't fucking know um wendy under her name on the will it says that sh it, it says the apartment address right basically like location of like where she lives the address of the witness it says Wendy with a heart or whatever. And under it, it has the address of an apartment in the Ashby, comp Ashby apartment complex. She had never lived there. Wendy has never and had never lived in that apartment complex. So why in the Frick Frack Paddywhack would she have signed her address? as as the ashby apartment complex she wouldn't have and she testified to that right she said that is fucking weird and i've never done that and she also testified that she actually doesn't use or sign documents with the surname ben ali she like doesn't do that shit like he left right he bounced house allegedly to 
left her and she was like, I'm out. She never signed his surname ever. So there's that. This spirals into a hullabaloo about who the fuck wrote this will. Who the fuck wrote it? Okay. And in my mind, right, and the audience's mind and y'all's mind, you guys are like, we know who wrote the fucking will, right? Someone with a mug that says number one dad on the side of it, right? He wrote that fucking will. But we have to prove under the law that he didn't write the will. The court holds finally that, okay, no, this will cannot be enforced. We cannot hold this will to be valid, even under the harmless error doctrine. The doctrine that I explained to you earlier was the doctrine that basically said, hey, if you fuck up, we'll probably still enforce the will if you can show by clear and convincing evidence that it was Tarouk's intent for this to be his final will. There was essentially no evidence that Tarouk had ever spoken about his, his testamentary intentions with anyone. So basically, you know, his final will and testament with anyone. He was only 34 years old. He had never even talked about signing a will. He had never talked about any, to anyone about what would happen if he died. And also, you know, he had never discussed with his wife what his will would be about or what that would be. And and obviously, um, her husband's decision not to provide for her in his will would probably, presumably have been a topic of interest to her, right? That like she would want to discuss and he would probably want to discuss with her. And then apparently didn't. Um, also, no original copy of the will was ever found. It was like a typed up document and like photocopied, which just makes it even more fucking sketchy. You know what I mean? Like, okay, please be so fucking for real. Um, and also, right all of the evidence about how bizarre it was that Tarouk was found in the wall of his of his apartment complex um that his dad ran and and took all the money from and definitely didn't want his wife to get a single shred or dime of and you know Hassan number one dad would obviously have a financial motive for concealing Tarouk's death if a will leaving the building to number one dad did not in fact exist when Tarouk died. So if this will was actually legit, the court says, then why the frick frack patty lock would Hassan have put his son in a fucking building and a wall for this long? He probably wouldn't have. He probably wouldn't have. Um, and you know, the whole my wife thing without mentioning her by name and the whole her putting her address down. Basically, you know, all in all, the court held, look, this was sketchy as fuck. We're going to agree with James Blanco and say that this probably wasn't legit. Clear and convincing evidence. The evidence was unclear and it was unconvincing. Although determining whether a will is valid is extremely fact-sensitive analysis, um, you know, and, and it can vary case by case, this is one of those cases where it definitely was not enough evidence to show that this was a will that we should enforce that this will um was you know definitely written by Tarouk and definitely his intent it was not so the court of appeal okay california court of appeal sent that shit back down to the trial court and said no ma'am no sirs uh you are going to distribute uh this estate based on our holding that this shit was not kosher. This shit was not a vibe. My rebuttal on this case, okay, is that everyone should really check who their family, friends, and number one dads are for sure. And also, if your fathers or mothers-in-laws or sisters-in-laws or brothers-in-laws hate you, 
with a burning, fiery, deep, hell-bent passion, you should maybe not believe everything they say. And you should also file a missing persons report if your husband or spouse or wife goes missing. But I don't know. Maybe I'm just reaching here. Maybe I'm being too paranoid. But I, I just think that at the end of the day, trust no bitch. Trust no Hassan. In this case, trust no ho. And make sure that you have your assets tied up, even at the young age of 34 years old, to be given to the person that you want it to be given to and not so much given to your tax-evading father who has it out for your lovely wife, Wendy, who probably did nothing wrong and all she did was want to go to Vegas and gamble and have a business venture. This has been a very bizarre episode of Rebuttal. It was all over the place and that's how we like it. That's how we love it. We want some more of it. If you'd like some more of it, follow us at Rebuttal Pod on Instagram, on Twitter, on TikTok. Follow me on TikTok, Reb Maisel, Instagram, Reb Maisel. Follow us everywhere, okay? We post updates. We have a jolly good time. And um, I'm looking forward to posting another episode every week until season one ends or until someone rips this podcast away from my hands. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next time on Rebuttal Pod. Love y'all. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.